Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Jesus. The very name stirs up a variety of emotions and reactions. Simple name. For some, the very nature, the very name is confrontational. In some places, you can't even use his name. You can pray to God all you want, but don't use the name of Jesus. When you ask people what they think about Jesus, you get a variety of answers and perspectives, all kinds. For some, he was a good man. Others, he was a prophet like Moses, Elijah, and many more say he was a religious figure, started a new religion, you might say, like Buddha, perhaps. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. In fact, in our culture, and probably most cultures around the world, everyone likes Jesus, at least a Jesus in their minds. Different religions see Jesus differently. The Mormon Jesus is not like the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, who is not like the Christian Science Jesus, who is not like Islam's Jesus. Today's text is one of the most outstanding passages in all the Bible. Now, how many times have I said this? There are a hundred top ten passages of Scripture, and this must be one of those, one of the top ten. This is just... just and an apex of Christology of who Jesus is that Paul paints here. It speaks to who Jesus is. And that brings us to our text here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, apparently, there was some false teaching going on in the church in Colossae that had to do with minimizing Jesus in some way. Many people thought he was important, but not essential. They had not given him place in their life without recognizing that he demands first place. Jesus was not prominent to them, certainly not preeminent. Now, the Bible students who studied the book of Colossians over the years, Bible scholars, are not really quite sure what was being taught in Colossae. It seems to do with God and creation, who Jesus is, and Bible scholars call this the Colossian heresy. Now, again, we're not sure exactly what Paul is addressing, but we can get some idea. The Colossian heresy. Now, a heresy is a deviation from Christian or biblical truth. And I want to kind of make some distinctions here. A heresy is a deviation from Christian or biblical truth. A group is heretical if it claims to be Christian, but deviates or denies a basic Christian belief like the deity of Jesus or about the Bible or something like that, some major doctrinal story. This group in Classe apparently certainly did that. They were doing something that was Christian but not Christian, being a heresy. They apparently taught that Jesus was special perhaps, but he was a created being. And Paul is addressing this issue here. Some biblical scholars think that in our text that we read, verses 15 to 20, was an early hymn of the church. This is not something that Paul thought up himself and wrote down. Perhaps he took a hymn the church would say or sing in their services and put it in this book, this letter to the Colossians. 
maybe they had sung this before or said this before in the church. I don't know. But it seems to be a hymn the way it's crafted. So let's take a few moments and look at these verses and what they say about Jesus and his, his preeminence. So I'm saying, I'm saying today that Jesus is preeminent. Why is Jesus preeminent? First of all, let's see, here we go. The image of the invisible God, look at verse 15. For he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, what's an image? Image is a likeness of something. If, if I hold up a, a coin, uh, a quarter for you, it would be an image of George Washington. It's an exact representation. You look at that and say, that's George Washington. Or if you had a penny, oh, that's Abraham Lincoln. You would know who these are by the image. In fact, in ancient days, the emperor would have his image on the coins. Exact likeness. You know exactly who that is by looking at that coin. You look at Jesus, he's the image of God. You know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. He's exactly what God looks like. An image also is a reflection of a mirror. You look in the mirror, you see a reflection. You know, you have never seen yourself, your face. You've never seen your face. Not really. You see reflections. Everybody else sees your face, but you. You see your face, your image through a reflection in a mirror. If you hold up a mirror to, to God, what do you see? Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, we'll talk about this some next week, Wednesday. The writer of Hebrews says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made Him known. John 18, uh, John 14, 8 and 9. John 14, 8 and 9. Philip said to him, Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. That's enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long. You don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because I'm an exact representation, exact image of the Father. So he is the image of the invisible God. Now, I don't want to go too far. If you don't like this, that's fine. But I really think that uh, when we get to heaven, when we see God face to face, we're going to see Jesus. We have this picture of Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father. We, we image ourselves, we see this throne with the Father, kind of a brightness, and we have a, a throne beside it, which is the Son. I understand the right hand of the Father is a position of power. But I think it's only one throne in heaven. And what you're going to see is Jesus. Because Father is invisible. He's a spirit. Deal with that. Number two, it says in verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, don't, hang with me on this one for a second. He, Paul is not saying here in verse 15 that he is the first, that the Jesus was created. We think of firstborn, we think of the first one that's born in the family. Firstborn, first one created, regenerated. Paul's going to say in just a moment why that's not true. John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything that was made was made. Creator. Firstborn, and it's a kind of a technical term. It doesn't mean the one necessarily is born first, but it means predecessor. First one in line, of first importance, of first rank, number one. In ancient days, the, the firstborn son was preeminent. He was number one. There was great privileges of that and great responsibilities of that. 
but it means emphasis on primary or priority in time, not necessarily something created. Because in verse 16, number 3, he is the creator. Look at verse 16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You see, back in number two here, the firstborn of all creation, our Jehovah's Witness friends say, see, Jesus is the first thing created. Jesus is important. Jesus is very important. God, the creator, the first thing he created was Jesus, created being. Look at this verse, they'll say. Okay, on its own, that might say, suggest that. But one of the best things to do when you have a concern about the Bible is keep reading the Bible. (laughs) Read the next verse. Next verse says very clearly, he is the creator. By him, through him, for him. All things, visible and invisible. Then it gives what perhaps is a hierarchy of of angels. Thrones and dominions and rulers or authorities. Maybe that's what's going on in the the Colossian church. Maybe there was a... uh, they're emphasizing worshiping angels or something. And God, uh, Paul's giving this hierarchy here of angels. I don't know. But he very clearly says that uh, Jesus is the creator. Fourth, he is the sustainer of all things. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and him all things hold together. Sustainer of all things. Now, I'm... I thought I was kind of a scientist when I went to college, but that was not my area, apparently. But uh, I took some chemistry and took some physics, and uh, I, don't, I know a little, chem, a little um, science, but not a whole lot. But, and I may be wrong here, but as I understand, the, the building blocks of, of the universe are atoms. I know the thing's smaller than atoms. Let's go with me with atoms. And you have inside the atom, you have the neutrons, which are neutral, and you have the, uh, the protons, which are positive, right? And then you have the electrons going around it this time. Now, if you had a, a, a bar magnet here with positive and negative and a bar magnet here, and you put the two positives together, what happens? They, they repel. Or the two negatives, they repel. But a positive and negative, they come together. Now, in my limited thinking, you would think with all this positiveness in the atom here and all the negatives of the, of the electrons right here, they would come together, wouldn't you think? Now, maybe if you're a scientist, you can correct me, teach me. But it seems to me the electrons would be naturally attracted to the protons and the atom would just come upon itself. Now, the scientists call this the electromagnetic electromagnetic field. They can name it, but they can't understand what's happening. (laughs) So what holds the atom together? What holds the universe together? Well, Paul says quite clearly it's Jesus. He holds it together. And he, he's for all things, and in him, he, all things hold together. He holds the universe together. And I've said this a couple times, if Jesus goes on vacation, we're in trouble. Because every atom universe is held properly by the power of Jesus. Fifthly, he's had the body, the church. Now, Paul says this other places, and Romans and and Ephesians and other places, this is really important. If Jesus is not the head of a local church, there's not really a church at all. And you know stories, uh, 
churches in our area, churches, you know, other places in which Jesus is not the head of the church. Some deacon or some elder or some group or some matriarch of the church, it's their church. I remember hearing about a church in our general area in which there was someone, of, not, it's not our church, some of a split uh, or a, a, a falling away or please leave, get out of here, you, this group here. And a friend of mine heard in the grocery store over the aisle, over here, didn't know he was there. And they said to each other, two ladies told each other, well, brother so-and-so has got his church back. That's right, that's right. Mm. Well, it's his church. It's not Jesus' church. It's his church. And, of course, those in the church allowed him to be it. That's not a church at all. If Jesus is not the head of a local church, then it's not really a church at all. But Jesus is the head of the body. And six, he is the beginning, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Well, that's interesting. Beginning. He is the beginning. Of course, when I, when I read that, I first of all think about the very end of the uh, book of Revelation. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first Greek letter in the alphabet and the last Greek letter. Alpha, Omega. It's like saying he's the A and the Z in English. He's it. He's everything. He's the Alpha. He's the beginning. Uh, he is. This, this gives an interesting take on... Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the earth. There, there's two parts, two, two persons of the Trinity right there, the Father and the Spirit. But as Paul says here, Jesus is the beginning, maybe we can look at Genesis 1.1 differently. In the beginning, God created. In Jesus, God created the heavens and the earth. That's interesting. If that's, he says he's the beginning, why, not, why would that not work? Seven, he is a firstborn from the dead. There in verse 18 again. He, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, what does that mean? Well, we've had others we see in Scripture that have come back from the dead. There's at least one episode in the Old Testament and at least three in the New Testament where people who died have come back to life. And, of course, the most notable is Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days when Jesus came and called him from the tomb, and he came back to life. But this is all of those episodes in the Scripture are really, and even those you might hear miracles today or in past days, really are resuscitations. You, you, you're, you're, you're dead, I'm not minimizing that you're dead, but brought back to life, brought back to this same kind of life, and eventually they died. Eventually Lazarus died a natural death later on. Um, but what we're talking about here, the firstborn from the dead, that this means that Jesus was resurrected not to the old Jesus, he was resurrected to a new kind of life. A new kind of life. Overcoming death. And we too will have that life if we are in Jesus, if you are in Christ. See, as you probably know, especially with Elijah's story, when Mary and Martha kind of somewhat chided Jesus, not really, but that if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus, talking to Martha, said, do you believe your, your brother will rise from the dead? She said, oh, yes, on the last day. 
The teaching of the day is that at the last day of history, when God comes back, all the righteous will be resurrected to a new life and all the, all the evil will be resurrected to uh, shame. So they, they knew resurrection was coming at the end of history. But for, for, but for one person to be resurrected before then, i.e. Jesus, they had no concept. That, it was just, that didn't even cross their minds at all. That's why the resurrection of Jesus with the Jews is so mind-blowing. They were not expecting that all, despite Jesus telling them he was going to do this. It's a new kind of life, a resurrection to a new life. He is the firstborn, the first one to rise from the dead, and we will too one day. Then eighth, he has a fullness of God dwelling in him. Again, we'll see that Wednesday in Hebrews 1. He is God, Paul is saying here. He has everything there is of God, there is in Jesus. The nine, in verse 20, he is a reconciler of all things. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile himself all things. Interesting that Paul says here, not all people, but all things. Paul says that a little bit in Romans chapter 8 about creation, reconciling creation. That's an interesting thought. He will bring everything together. All things will be brought together to God through Jesus. And then lastly, verse 20, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The peacemaker through the cross. That's the key, making peace. And what we need in our world today is peace. And I think of Billy Graham's little famous little booklet, Peace with God, that when we come to Jesus and our sins are forgiven, we have peace with God through the cross. But also we have peace, we can have peace with one another. One of the major themes of Paul and his writings is the unity of the body, Gentiles and Jews coming together. Unity, peace with our neighbor. We are to love one another and we are have peace with our neighbor with God and our neighbor, but also we can have peace with ourselves. Sometimes most unpeaceful people are with themselves, not with God or with their fellow man, but with themselves. And we can have that through the cross of Jesus Christ. Wow, I, I couldn't get us all on one screen. I take two screens here about Jesus. This is, this is just, just one thing here. So that's it, quite a list. Um, Paul had to deal with a heresy within the Colossian church, and he had to bring this up to kind of get them straight. Now, friends, we have heresies in the world today, in the church today. Now, that's a term we don't use that much today. We did it in ancient times in the church history. We need to use that term more today, I think. We have heresies today in the church that we need to deal with. Now, I said earlier that a heresy is a deviation from Christian or biblical truth. A group is heretical if it claims to be Christian, but deviates or denies a basic Christian doctrine, especially about Jesus and especially about the divinity of Jesus. These sayings that Paul has listed here. So what are some heresies regarding Jesus today? Well, think very quickly. Our Jehovah's Witness friends believe Jesus is a created being. The first created being, he's really, really, really important but he's created. 
In fact, they teach that Michael the archangel became a man. And that was Jesus. And when he died, he became Michael again. That's not the Jesus we see in Scripture. A Latter-day Saints friends, our Mormon friend says that Jesus is a created being who was once a man like you and me, and he obtained Godhood through obedience. He was a spirit child like you and me, the offspring of our Heavenly Father, one of his goddess wives, had a, a, a spirit baby, became a physical baby through a husband and wife, grew up through obedience through the Mormon doctrine, became a God, just like you and I can become a God. In fact, he's called our elder brother. He's a spirit brother of all of us. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Islam teaches that uh, Jesus is just a man. He's a prophet. And they have, a lot, they have uh, tens of thousands of prophets. They, almost everybody uh, in the Bible that's important is a prophet, like Adam and Noah and Gideon. Of course, people like David, Moses, but all the other prophets we call prophets in the Bible. And Jesus is a prophet. He's just a man, just like Muhammad. Muhammad is the best prophet, but Muhammad is just a man. They do not worship Muhammad. They say, no, but he is the, the seal of the prophets. He is the, the, the greatest prophet, greater than Jesus. But Jesus is just a man. He is just a prophet. He's not God. He's not God's son. Christian science group, which is neither scientific nor Christian, uh, they say Jesus is a man in tune with the divine consciousness. He's not the Christ. Similarly, New Age, you don't hear about New Age much, it's still around, but he's a man who had the Christ consciousness in him. Now, again, back probably 20 years ago, 30 years ago, more, uh, we talked about New Age movement. It's still there, and I guess the queen of the New Age movement would be Oprah. Thing she says. She really emphasizes that this, this consciousness we have uh, in us, that it's the Christ consciousness that can come out in any of us. A group I don't hear much anymore, much anymore, but they're around, called the Unity School of Christianity. There's a Unity Church in Raleigh I know of. I mean, just read what they have written. Uh, yes, Unity teaches that the Spirit of God lives in Jesus, just as it lives in every person. Every person has the potential to express the perfection of Christ as Jesus did by being more Christ-like in everyday life. We believe that Jesus expressed the divine potential and sought to show mankind how to express ours as well. We see Jesus as a master teacher of universal truths as our way shower. In unity, we use the term Christ to mean divinity in humankind. Jesus is a great example of the Christ in expression. In other words, every person has this Christ consciousness in them. And we've got to figure out how to get it out and how to be more like that. And Jesus did a great job of that and showed us how to do that. He's a way shower. He's not the way. <laughs> He's a way shower, how we can be more Christ-like in living. And then our friends, the uh, Unitarian Universalist Association, UA, um, they believe Jesus was a great religious teacher, if he existed at all, but not necessarily unique. Now, see, all these groups, and probably others you could name, claim to be Christian or use Christian terminology. Now, those who aren't Christians, such as Hindus or Buddhists or pagans or atheists or Judaism, these are not considered heresies. They're different religions altogether. 
A heresy is someone in the family who is doing, who's teaching wrong doctrine. So you don't call your Hindu friends or your pagan friends or your atheist friends heretics because they're not heretics. They're something else different, completely different. All the other groups I mentioned use Christian terminology and even claim to be the true church. Shows witnesses and, and uh, uh, Mormons in particular. We are the true church. We're the true Christians. Hmm. So why is this all important? This has been great, Randy. You know, they've got these 10 things. This is great. Yay, Jesus. Why is this important? I've got two points of why this is important for us. One, that's what important. One, is this important for salvation? Who is this Jesus? Indeed, is he the Savior sent from God? If he is just a man or even a prophet sent from God, how can he save us? Now, all those other groups I just mentioned about salvation, salvation is not through Jesus. It's through other means. How can he help us besides pointing the way as did other prophets of old? The cross and the resurrection, the key. If Jesus is not God, if he's not who Paul says he is in verses 15 to 20, then he didn't die for us. He didn't deal with our sin. We're still left in our sins and we are hopeless. If you've got a wrong view of Jesus, you've got a wrong view of salvation. Period. Second, it's important for our spiritual maturity, for our spiritual growth. Who is this Jesus we worship? This morning as we've been praying, as we've been singing, we've been worshiping Jesus as God. You worship nothing, you worship no one except God. Whatever you worship, you consider to be your God. Whether it's a formal worship or informal worship, we've come in this church on Sunday mornings in particular to worship Jesus as God. That's important. Is he able to save? Is he able to keep all things going? Is he able to bring completion what he has started? To grow as a Christian in our understanding of who Jesus is, is critical, is crucial. Our maturity in Jesus depends upon growing in our understanding who Jesus is. You all know individuals, maybe in your family, friends, who have a deficient view of Jesus, and you can see how it stunted their spiritual maturity. I've been asked before in the past about Mormons in particular, and can Mormons be Christians? Well, uh, anyone who trusts Jesus alone for salvation to the cross is a Christian. And I have no doubt there are some people who have done that who are in the Mormon church. Not through the Mormon doctrine, but through trusting in Jesus alone. But if they, are, if they indeed are a Christian and in the Mormon church, they are not going to grow spiritually. Because they have deficient theology, deficient view of Jesus. We had a friend when we lived in Newport, and uh, he met the Lord, I think, through a brother uh, who was a Mormon. And I think he really trusted Jesus as for a Savior, but he got involved in the Mormon church. It, I'm sure he didn't grow. There's really no way, there's no good doctrine there or your understanding of Jesus there to grow spiritually. Your maturity in the Lord depends on your understanding of Jesus. 
Paul went on to tell everybody about Christ. In, in Colossians, let's jump down to some verses at the end of chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Paul says, We, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toll, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's saying it's Jesus and it's through him I want to preach so we can mature. Some people, some people believe that when we become a follower of Jesus, all we need to do is just follow Jesus. But a well-known pastor said salvation is not mainly forgiveness of sins, and though it is, it is mainly a fellowship with Jesus. It's, it's a walk with Jesus. It's not just checking a box or just praying a prayer and going on your way. Walking with Jesus is far more than just praying a simple prayer. You begin a journey with a person, not a religion, not a denomination, but with a person. Not to an ideology or a theology, but to our creator. So how do you get to know somebody? Well, you spend time with them. I've been here a year and a half. I've got to know you by spending time with you and talking with you and studying you and thinking about you and the same thing with Jesus, how we get to know Jesus better through the same ways. You see, friends, if Jesus is preeminent overall, then he is sufficient for all. If he is creator, he knows how to create, he knows how to fix things. If he's a ruler, he knows how to rule, he knows how to provide. Jesus is preeminent in all things in the universe, whether things visible we see or invisible. He is worthy of worship, and he is worthy for us to give our lives to him unconditionally. He is our sufficient Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for Paul's writing here to the Colossians. You know, we don't know exactly what's going on. It prompted him to, to write these words as a hymn, perhaps, for us in Colossians chapter 1. It talks about who Jesus is. Thank you for our mighty Savior. Thank you for being Lord of the universe, Lord of this church, Lord of my life, our lives. May we follow you. May we put you preeminent in all aspects of our life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.